0: nice to sing many songs this morning. Uh, is it is uh, We've missed it dearly. Thank you for all those who participated in, in, uh, in the music uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for your singing. It, it blesses my soul. I'm so glad I sit up front. It all comes forward. Uh, it's literally music to my ears to hear you all uh, sing. Uh, just a couple thoughts uh, before we get into our time together. Uh, one, just thank you for your prayers uh, on my behalf and my family's behalf. The, the, the wedding uh, last week was just uh, just wonderful, right? I mean, I've, uh, I, I performed the ceremony for my son and daughter-in-law. Uh, now I've done it for my, for my daughter this past week, and, and I'm wearing my tie pin that says I take it off, but it takes me forever to get it back on. I always wear tie pins. This is a tie clip, excuse me. It says, uh, Father of the Bride. And uh, on the back it says, Will you take a walk with me, Dad? Right? And uh, so I just got to share the story. So when she read that, when I read it, um, there's, there's a moment that defines my relationship with my daughter. And uh, the night I was getting ready to, de- to deploy to Afghanistan, uh, we had a couple chaplains come by the house. My, my mother and father-in-law were, were present. Um, we have a picture of the kids. We're all crying. It's horrible. And, and my little girl, who was 8, no, let's see, uh, 2006, so she was 10, almost 10. And uh, she looks up at her dad and she says, Dad, can we take a walk? She wanted me to cry at her wedding <laughs> so she got her wish. I, I managed to hold it together. I think i 'm more emotional now rehearsing it than I was at the time, but um, I tell you it, what a blessing to to see your family get married to godly people and so I, I just thank you I just wanted to let you know all right it, it was it was a wonderful time. everything went really smooth and and they 're getting back from their uh, uh, their honeymoon today and start work tomorrow. But say, thank you for their prayers for them. I went a little longer than I wanted to on that one, but um, I also want to let you know uh, this next Sunday I won't be here. Uh, we're going to vacation in Virginia, uh, Shenandoah Valley, and uh, so we're, we're really looking forward to it. I get to spend some time with my sister and her family, and, and uh, we tried to do this last year, and we couldn't do it because of COVID, so we're, we're excited that we can do it this year. All right, so thank you for your, on your behalf. And, and Pastor Aaron is, is preaching next week, so please come and, and listen to him. I want to thank Pastor Dave for doing such a great job preaching last week. As we consider uh, loving like Jesus, uh, it is uh, just wonderful that we can talk about this. Dave's uh, challenge to you last week was, uh, it's a challenge to all of us, but it was Jesus' love caused him to take the first step towards others. All right. And then we were challenged with so loving like Jesus will move us to create connections with others. And, and so he was focused on that. I really love the illustration of Niagara Falls, by the way. All right. I'm not that creative, right? So I thought that was really well done. But this is all in, in line of us as a body of believers coming to understand what, what it means to love like Jesus. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I shared, uh, I preached a message. It was on Vision Sunday. And it was the idea that we must understand the love of Jesus. What he did for us on the cross of Calvary was the greatest demonstration of the love of God for us. Jesus hung on that cross to pay for our sins, not his. He had no sins. He was perfect. And as as we start off today, I want to start off just kind of hitting the highlight of the gospel. If you're here this morning, you do not know what it means to have your sins forgiven. And maybe you don't know what sin is. Sin is anything that God says you shouldn't do or not doing the things that God says you should do. And certainly one of the things we're called to do is to love one another. We're supposed to love the Lord thy God with all our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strengths, and to love one another as ourselves. That, that's what we're called to do. And the gospel says you can't do it without the love of Christ. So we, we ask you to come, come to a faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he accomplished on that cross. As he died for your sins and on the third day he rose again in fulfillment of Scripture, has ascended to heaven, the seat of the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, and He's coming again. And that's, that's really important, folks, for us to remember, that Jesus is coming again. And so if you're not in a right relationship with God, if your sins have never been forgiven prior to His coming back, it doesn't bode well for you. And we, we invite you to come to faith in Jesus and what He's done. And if you have questions, you may not get all your questions answered in this sermon, but we are here to answer your questions. Uh, We are here through phone calls, through email, through whatever. We will do whatever we can to answer your questions. We'd love for you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The majority of us in the room this morning uh, would say we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. So so much of what we're talking about is aimed directly at you. And so as we continue on in this series to love like Jesus, this is what we're going to consider today we're going to consider that Jesus' love caused him to welcome anyone who would follow him. All right? this is right? We're going to talk about it for the next half hour or plus, I'm sure. And so Jesus' love caused him to welcome anyone who would follow him. And so there's all kinds of things that we're going to encounter, uh, all kinds of texts of Scripture. Uh, contrary to what Jim was sharing, I'm not going to actually unpack the Scripture reading today. But I do appreciate his focusing in on those words because those are the words that I want you to focus on. And that is that we do all kinds of things, all right? Humankind, mankind, Christians, we do all kinds of things. And, and we, we create traditions and doctrines of, uh, that we treat as, uh, the, the teachings of man as the doctrines of God. And that's something we're, we're going to address later. But before we get there, I'm going to ask you to have some fun, all right? Now, what's fun for Christians? Well, I used to think Christians didn't have any fun. That's why it took me so long to come to faith in Christ. And then I, then I realized when you come to faith in Christ, I never really had fun because it's innocent fun. It's fun fun. It's, it's edifying fun. And so I'm gonna, I want you to have fun this morning. And what is fun for Christians is to actually bask in the stories of the Bible. I'm going to ask you to have fun today. I'm going to ask you to to identify, find yourself in the stories that I'm going to share with you. These are straight from Scripture, but I'm not going to put the Scripture on, on on, on the screen, right? I'm not going to put that up there. I will put plenty of it up there later. But for right now, I'm asking you, remember your Bible. Remember your Scripture. And I'm asking you to take what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes and go home and and reread the gospels. And, and remember these stories and more as we, as we go through here. Because there is nothing we should enjoy more than being in the Word of God. So as we go this morning, I want to talk about the types of people Jesus welcomed. We're saying that Jesus He loved people, He welcomed everyone, right? Anyone that would follow Him, He welcomed. Well, who, what type of people did he welcome? I'm going to give you four or five slides, so a whole bunch of stories, all right? So let's just, talk, let's just start off. Who are these industrious fishermen, right? Who are the industrious? Those are the hardworking people that we see in Scripture. We're introduced to Peter and his, his brother Andrew, and then uh, James and John, and we're told stories about them, and, and they became his, his foremost disciples. Really, Peter, James, and John were, were the key three Peter being the number one, right? And so he was a fisherman. Fishermen, that's hard work. These were, these were, I won't say they were entrepreneurs, but they were self-employed. Their living required them to be good at their job. They weren't allowed to be lazy. So you know what? Jesus, he welcomed, he loved industrious people. He also loved unworthy people. Who, who, I have Matthew, the tax collector, up there. Do you remember the story of Matthew? Am I saying he 's unworthy? No, I think every other Jew around him would say he 's unworthy, as he was uh, measured by the his his uh peers who were fellow Jews with him he 's a jew he 's a jew that that worked for the Romans, collecting taxes from his fellow Jewish people he was deemed unworthy by them. Hey, all tax collectors were. Now, I don't know the, the level of ethics that he had prior to coming to faith in Christ and, and being one of his disciples. I don't know if he was mostly honest, but tax collectors had a bad reputation, and certainly we have to understand that he would have been viewed as an unworthy person. But Jesus loved him, and Jesus welcomed him. What about the radical? I love this, by the way, the radical and the conservative, right? We have those in our world today, but what are we talking about here? The radical, Simon the Zealot. He's also one of the twelve. And we don't know a whole lot about him from Scripture, but read your Scriptures and understand, and then read about Scripture. Read historical narratives. Study. What's a zealot? A zealot is someone who is willing to spill blood for for God's sake. They're willing to, to, to kill people for the sake of doing God's will. Now, Simon, the zealot, we don't know a lot about him, but he was more than likely willing to go that route until he met Jesus. Now, how many of you have, have watched the, uh, the series called The Chosen? Have you, anybody, a few of you have watched it? I'm going to encourage you. It's an app. If you get the app, it's easiest. You cast it to your TV from the app, but it's free, and you just download the app, and you get it, and, it, and they're doing, they're, they're telling the stories of the gospel, and I love the the way they brought this, the, the Simon and Zealot story out, Again, they add things to the story, right, to, to flesh out a story, right? We can, we can live with that. We're discerning. Let's read Scripture, be experts on Scripture, and be able to tell what's real and what's not, right? But he was a, they were radicals, right? And then who else did, did, did Jesus welcome? Oh, he, he welcomed the conservative, Nicodemus, the godly man, the, the religious leader, he was, he was not so radical. He only wanted to meet Jesus at nighttime because he, he had the fear of man going on. And, and he didn't understand Jesus. And Jesus told him, hey, listen, uh, Nicodemus, you conservative religious person, I appreciate you. I welcome you. Will you please be born again? And Nicodemus was like, what, what, what do you mean? Can I climb back into my brother's womb? Uh, Jesus is like, really, dude? You're a teacher of Israel. And do you not understand that there's a spiritual rebirth that must take place? And that's, and that's the message we get, John three sixteen. That all happened as Jesus welcomed Nicodemus. As we go on, we see that Jesus was willing to welcome the wealthy and the poor. Think of the wealthy person, Joseph of Arimathea. He was also a secret disciple. He was one that was willing to, to worship Jesus or, or willing to, to get to know Jesus in private. But he, and along with Nicodemus, they went to the, the, the uh, Roman leadership and said, can we take his body off the cross? And Jesus was buried in Joseph's tomb. He was a wealthy man. He had his own tomb. And Jesus welcomed him. He wasn't necessarily to welcome Jesus openly, but Jesus was willing to welcome him. And he came to faith in Jesus. What about poor people? Uh, It's a parable, but we have two people portrayed in the the parable. And and if they were real, Jesus would have welcomed them too. We We have the rich man and Lazarus. And, and the Lazarus was, this is not the Lazarus who was raised from the dead. He was a real person. This is the Lazarus, the beggar, who sat outside the gate of the, of the rich person's house. And, and, the, and he had sores, and the dogs would come to lick his sores. And then he died. And the story goes that he went and he was in the, in the bosom of Abraham. And and, Lazarus, and the rich man also died. And, and the rich man is looking upon, across this great gulf. And he sees, he sees Lazarus and he says, oh, can you send him with a little water? No, there's a great gulf between me. There's a barrier between Lazarus and, 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 and the rich man. And he says, well, send him to my brothers. They'll believe if someone's raised from the dead. Not so much. And that knew, Jesus knew this was going to be the way things were going to unfold. Jesus would have loved that man. And he did love the poor. I just wanted to bring this story out. He certainly loved the poor. He did so much for them. But he's willing to, to welcome wealthy. He's willing to welcome poor. He's willing to, 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 to uh, welcome the overlooked. Now, I want to pause just for a minute because I, when I get excited, I get fast. I, get, I talk fast. Let's pause. You ever felt overlooked? It is not a good feeling. I have felt overlooked in times past, right? Being 6'3, about 120 pounds. You know, I'm 190 now, so picture me 70 pounds less, right? With acne all over my face. And a wallflower. I kid you not, I'm the epitome of a wallflower, right? I would never be doing this outside of Christ. Being overlooked was my life. Maybe it's yours too. Maybe, it's something, maybe you can identify with this. Because I'm telling you, folks, we are called to love like Jesus, and Jesus loved the overlooked. Think about blind Bartimaeus. What a wonderful story. Here's this man who, who has heard about Jesus, and he's like, wait a minute, he's in earshot. Let me scream his name, Jesus. And what did he get? He got shushed. Shh. He just got louder, Jesus. Jesus stopped called them to him. What did he do? He cast off his cloak. Never forget the time I heard that, that message preached. And it, was, and it was a visual. It was a, it was a monologue. It was a per, first-person monologue where the guy was dressed like Bartimaeus, and, and he cast off the cloak. And, and it's like a blind man can't go find that. You have to rely upon others. But he had his eyes, figuratively speaking, on Jesus. And Jesus welcomed him, healed him, gave him sight. Jesus loved him, and he loved Jesus in return. Jesus loves the outcast. He welcomes the outcast. Think about the leper. There's many lepers that Jesus healed, but I just go to that one where where Jesus, he could have healed him, as we're going to look later. He could have healed him from miles away. But instead, he walked to him and he touched him. What was unclean, the leper became clean as soon as Jesus touched him. There's probably no one more outcast than a leper. Have you felt outcast? Have you ever felt alone in a room of crowded people? That's what an outcast person feels like. you ever been on that fringe? Or maybe you know someone that's on the fringe, and you're saying, yeah, you know, if you put it that way, Pastor, I kind of know some people that probably feel this way. Well, will you love them like Jesus? Because Jesus loved them. Jesus healed them. Jesus treated them like real people. People. How about the condemned? Do you have someone who's on death's door, even as you speak right now. Maybe there's someone that, that you know is not a believer in Jesus Christ. They're getting ready to step into eternity and their, their sins have not been atoned for. They, they, Jesus has died for them, but they refuse to receive it. And maybe you're praying for that person, and maybe that's that person that was witnessed to this past week and came to faith. Jesus loves that. When we think about the thief on the cross. Is there a better story to encourage us in our faith that even at the last moment, someone can come to faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus will welcome them? Think about the soldiers that were around that cross. Think about the, the centurion that, that uh, all the different centurions that are portrayed in Scripture. These men who are, who, are, who are working for a corrupt world government who is vicious and vile and are asked to do so many despicable things. Jesus was willing to welcome The centurion who was concerned about his servant, and he said, "No greater faith have I seen in all Israel." But that centurion would say, "I have men under my command. I believe that if you just say the word, my servant will be healed," and he was. What about the possessed? I put two names here because I just can't leave Mary Magdalene off. But my immediate spot was the, the demoniac of Gadarene. Here's a guy that's insane. I mean, he's just, he's going nuts. He's super strength. He's breaking chains. He's, he's doing all this stuff. And Jesus comes on the scene, cast out the demons. And he says, can I follow you, Jesus? He's like, not in, not in my presence. You stay right here in your town and be my witness. And he was. Mary, Mary followed him. Mary was there on the day Jesus resurrected. Jesus loved her. welcomed her he he welcomes the young he welcomes the old we know that to be true now I will say this the old folks here uh man a man at the pool of Bethsaida you know I had him on the slide before I actually went back to read the scripture because I always pictured him as an old guy you know it says he had his infirmity for 38 years so I'm hoping he was like 20 when he came down to it. That makes him 58, which is older than me, and that makes him old, okay? So, so we'll, call, we'll call him old because uh, I already had him on the slide, right? But obviously there's other old people we have. But Jesus is well, willing to welcome everyone, even the scandalous. Hey, do you have a scandalous past? There's parts of my past that I would, I would categorize under scandalous. I'm not going to tell you. It's, uh, it's covered under the blood of Jesus, you have a scandalous past? The woman caught in adultery did. Do you remember that story? Do you remember all these stories? Are these stories, do they get you? Are you having fun yet? Because these are all the stories that I can just say from memory. And you can too, most of you. But if not, if, you, if you're like a fuzzy, get into the Gospels. But listen, this woman, notice the religious leaders only brought her before Jesus. The guy got, you know, he, he, he's unnamed. But Jesus... They were trying to trick him, and he says, listen, he who is without sin may cast the first stone. And as he's scribbling in the sand, we don't know what he was writing. Some people think maybe he was writing different kinds of sins, but it said that the people left one by one, the oldest to the youngest. Because we're sinners, every one of us, and every one of those people. And this woman stood there before Jesus, who was the only person ever that could have cast the stone because he was without sin. And he said, Go and sin no more. I don't, there's no one here to condemn you. I don't condemn you either. Go, sin no more. And she went out, and Jesus welcomed her. He loved her. Think about those who are faint of hope this morning. I know there are people in this room who are faint of hope. I know there are loved ones in the hospital. There's loved ones going through trials. They're going through trials. There's, there's all kinds of things going on in lives, and we understand this faint of hope. We think about the woman with the issue of blood. She was at her, she was at her end. She was desperate and she knew of Jesus and she, she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And that's what she did. She finds him, notice it's the next story, the grieving parents of Darius and his wife. And Darius, he went to Jesus and he said, listen, my daughter is homesick. sick, can you heal her? And Jesus is journeying on the way to her house and on the way he encounters this woman with the issue of blood. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, i got life and death in my hands. I can't talk to you folks now. i got to go heal this daughter of this guy, this religious leader guy, this rabbi guy. i gotta, I got to go. No, he stops. He stops for this woman with an issue of blood that no one around her knows what she's dealing with. They're all focused on Jesus, and she touches the hem of his garment, and he stops, and he says, I perceive the power has gone out from me. Who touched me? And the disciples are like, you're crazy, Jesus. There's so many people touching you. What are you talking about? And he looks at that woman, and he says, your faith has made you whole. Now we pick up on the grieving. Jairus is standing there. Why are we stopping, Jesus. We don't have time for this. My my daughter, she's, she's sick, she's dying. And while this uh, someone came forward and says, Your daughter has died. Oh. Not an obstacle for Jesus. Jesus met that grieving family right where they lived. And he resurrected that little girl right there on the spot with a couple of his disciples and his parents in the room. He said, Little girl, arise. And what he did in that moment changed that family forever and teaches us that there is this thing called resurrection that we ought to be really excited about. And God welcomed that family and he welcomed even the skeptic. Are you a skeptic this morning? Because you got an apostle on your side. That's Nathaniel. Nathaniel was a skeptic. His friend Philip found him sitting under a, a fig tree and says, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I've got to introduce you to Jesus. He's the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, Is there anything good? Oh, hey, what's his name? Jesus of Nazareth. Is there anything good that comes out of Nazareth? Because nothing apparently was expected to come good out of Nazareth. Jesus came from Nazareth. And then, so what, what does Nathaniel do? Eh, whatever. Okay, I'll go meet him. And then Jesus acknowledges his existence, says, I knew you when you were under the fig tree. And he says, My Lord and my God. Wow. Do you see yourself in these stories? Have you ever been welcomed by Jesus? Folks, listen, it's a wondrous thing. And when we can relive our own story or or live through the story of others. Uh, We had a gentleman that was here in the first service. A uh, former military guy. We actually know some of the same people, right? I won't share his name, but he came up after the service, and he and uh, we were talking. We had met before, and uh, we were talking. He said, "Hey, listen. If you ever needed some encouragement, if you ever want to just talk about the military, give me a call." And I tell people all the time, I live through them. I live through the active duty military. I live through these people that did all this cool stuff, right? I I love it. And I listen. Relive your faith as you encounter these stories, but never get tired of hearing other people's story of faith. You know, we love these stories, these wonderful, uh, passionate stories of these people that, you know, we think about the testimonies people give, the stories of people coming to Jesus. You know, I love that song by Big Daddy Weave that says, says, this is my story, right? And, but the reason I love it is because uh, I love to tell my story because it tells of him. It's all about Jesus, folks. Do you get excited about talking about Jesus? Because it ought to excite us. It ought to be fun. And so listen, we ought to be telling people our story because it tells of him. Because we are redeemed because of him. But just as much as we get excited about the addict who comes to faith or the adulterer that comes to faith, we ought to get excited about the four-year-old who comes to faith. The one who's saved from a life of sin rather than out of a life of sin. Because it's just as miraculous when we have baptisms and we hear stories of people coming to faith, let's rejoice and let's relive it and let's understand every one of those stories is a proclamation that Jesus loved. Jesus' love caused him to welcome anyone who would follow him. So I think we are called to welcome anyone who would follow Jesus. This is where the rub is, folks. I'm just going to say, does tension, tension ought to enter the room right at this point. Wait a minute, we should welcome anyone? Is that what's going on? Really? Are we supposed to welcome anyone who comes to faith? Yes. And if you don't get anything else from this whole sermon... Just get the gospel, the stories of the gospel, and the challenge of the gospel that we are to love everyone. We are to welcome everyone who's willing to follow Jesus. If they are willing to follow Jesus, we must be willing to welcome them. So think about this, Matthew 10, 40. This is speaking to disciples. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, he who receives you, speaking to his disciples, receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. As disciples, if we, are, if we are willing to greet one another and welcome one another into each other's lives, we are welcoming Jesus. And Jesus says, We are welcoming the Father. That's the way it is. And you can welcome other people in the name of Jesus who are not believers. And when they become to the faith, this is the dynamic that takes place. Because as gospel goes forth, it is powerful. So I, I believe we face two dangers. We'll, say, we'll to spend, spend the rest of our time on, on this idea. We face two dangers if we do not welcome followers of Jesus. If we fail to welcome followers of Jesus, this is the way we're going uh, to encounter this. The first danger is this we will look more like Pharisees than disciples of Jesus Christ. You know we're passionate about you and and, and ourselves looking like disciples, right? We want to be disciples. We want to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ until he returns. It's, It's what we want to do. It's what we believe our mission is. But the first danger we have, if we fail to welcome people like Jesus did, if we fail to love people like Jesus, we will look more like Pharisees than disciples. What does a Pharisee look like? Well, let's look at some Scripture. Matthew 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves. In other words, they're not going to heaven. Uh, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. In other words, those who are like looking into it and considering the things of God, no, nope, once they encounter one of these Pharisees, no, nope, they're, they're not making it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. It's not reality, it's pretense. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is won, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Do you want to look like a Pharisee this morning? I don't think so. I think we're all pretty clear. No, I don't want to be one of those people who are traveling land and sea and they make a proselyte, a convert. And they, and they lead and they, they influence this convert so they're twice a son of hell than the, than the original Pharisee. That is not the form of discipleship that we're after. It's a, it is definitely a form of discipleship. It's discipling in the wrong way. It's discipling people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I call these are barriers to faith, right? Sometimes we're guilty of placing barriers to faith, people's faith, other people's faith. And so we must evaluate our attitudes towards others. It's part of how we, how we love one another. It's part of how we welcome one another. There are attitudes that we have that we might not even understand that we have them. We may be uh, ignorant of the way our attitudes are influencing us, and our very attitudes of church people, of born-again people, may be sending a message to those who are not born again, stay away. And that ought to never be the case. Consider Luke 18. He also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, speaking to the Pharisees, that they were righteous and despised others. This is the attitude we want to avoid. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I think Dave, uh, Pastor G uh, shared this last week. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector that's in the back scene here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So barriers to faith. We have to watch our attitudes, folks. We may have an attitude like that Pharisee. Are you prideful? Are you self-absorbed? Do you believe yourself righteous Well, of course not, Pastor. I know it's the blood of Jesus Christ. I know it's his righteousness, not ours. But are your, are your attitudes portraying your, your belief in that truth? We need to evaluate, folks. I'm not trying to call out any one person. I'm trying to put us all in the spotlight. Are we guilty of this, individually, corporately? Because it's a barrier for people to come into faith. We also have a barrier. We must evaluate our actions, both individually and corporately. Now, this I'm going to share a positive one. Because, I, I, you know, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites can bring us down a little bit after the high we were on going through all those gospel stories. So let's look at this one. Here's, here's one. Our actions should reflect the love of Jesus. These words ought to be the words that Merrimack Valley Baptist Church are known by. What are those words? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I've been there. You tired of trying to figure out life on your own? You tired of of trying to please God with all your good works, and then you just fail over and over again? Will you understand that the invitation of Jesus is for you, and it says, come to me. Come to Jesus. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Folks, is that the message we're conveying to our community, both inside these doors and outside our our, 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 uh, facilities here? Are we we living this life? Are we living a life of unburdenedness in front of others so they might know? How How do you go through that and still smile? How do you go through that and and still think God is real and loving and merciful? How can you lose your job? How can you lose your loved one? How can you deal with COVID? How can you do all this stuff and have this peace that transcends my understanding? It's in Jesus Christ, because we should be characterizing this in our lives. Are you burdened? Are you anxious? Come to Jesus. In contrast to that particular verse, we have the, the, the teaching that was basically read by um, Jim earlier, that Mark, that Mark 7 passage where he said, and in vain they worship me. This is Jesus. He's quoting actually the Old Testament, and he's calling out the Pharisees, and he says, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Folks, we are guilty of this. We do this. This is part of our human nature we realize that we're saved by faith and not works, but as soon as we get saved, somehow we think works has got to come into the mix. We're saved by grace. We're called to live by grace. And what happens is we think we, we, the, the Jews, the, the, the Pharisees, what they were known for was to add things on to the teachings of God. Well, if, if God's standard is here, well, if we put our standard here, then if we, if we break ours, okay, we break ours and we'll know it. We won't break God's standard. It's legalism. I understand on an individual level you may put some safeguards in your life, and I, I can appreciate that. But the moment you place your safeguard in, onto an expectation of another person, you're a legalist. Just because God's working in your heart and mind to say, "Hey, I need to be careful about. It. I don't want to. I don't want to do something." Fine, walk that road of wisdom, but don't you inflict that on someone else? Because when we consider uh, the next danger you'll understand where, where we're coming from. So the next danger is this. We will look more like Judaizers than disciples of Jesus Christ. So we don't want to look like Pharisees, right? Hypocrites, right? We don't, we don't want to look like that. We also don't want to look like these people. Who are these people? These people, Judaizers expected all Christians to observe Jewish law. They expected everyone to, to um, you know, basically believe in Jesus, but you had to become a Jew so that you could be a Christian, and we, we see that unfolding in, in the New Testament, and Paul put it to rest uh, as he went to Jerusalem, and the church talked about it, and, and all the leaders, and they all decided, "Nope, no. Nope. But there were still some people that believed you had to obey the law in order to be a Christian. And so that's what we're calling a Judaizer. They believe that all people needed to act this way. They needed to follow the law. And the Bible gives us a great example, not of an actual Judaizer. Paul dealt with them. I'm not going to deal with them directly. I'm going to go to a Christian who acted like a Judaizer. There's this really famous Christian that acted like a Judaizer, and Paul calls them out, and his name is Peter. In Galatians 2, Paul recounts for us an incident that that we otherwise don't know about. It says, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Can you see this? Right? The apostle to the Jews, the apostle to the Gentiles, going nose to nose. Right? That's probably not the way it happened. All right? Paul tells us what happened. He says, because he was to be blamed. Peter violated God's standard. Peter, Peter was in sin. Peter was not welcoming people like Jesus. He wasn't loving people like Jesus. Verse 12 says, for before certain men, uh, excuse me, but before certain men came from James, talking about Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, he would eat with the Gentiles. This is something Peter did. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were from the circumcision of the circumcision. This is called the fear of man. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, and before I change the slide, I want this to be going through your head. The gospel is for every person at every moment. We say it over and over and over again. I hope you're hearing it because when, when Paul saw duplicity and sin in the life of Peter, what did he do? He pulled out the gospel. He says, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners like the Gentiles, and here we go, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, there's the gospel. Once, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ. There's gospel again, number two, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Gospel number three. All right, three times in one slide. Paul, Peter, excuse me. Paul is giving Peter the gospel the number one apostle of Jesus Christ, the number one disciple of Jesus Christ needed the gospel applied to his error because he looked more like a Judaizer than he looked like a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I, I think we can think well of Peter, right? He responded right and, you know, he did what was expected of him. But if we, but if, uh, excuse me, but, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, We ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Paul is now instructing the Galatians and what this is all about. I have been crucified with Christ. First verse I ever memorized. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And get this, folks. This is where the rubber meets the road for us. And the life which we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's the faith that we believe. That is who we are called to be. Paul continues, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Folks, we don't want to look like a Judaizer. We don't want to add something to the gospel. It's the gospel, free and clear. It's the power of God unto salvation. As soon as we add our works in any way, it's a false gospel. So barriers, first of all, barriers to faith, but we also have barriers to growth that are a real thing in, in our relationships, right? We must evaluate our expectations of others. That's what Judaizers did. That's what legalists do. They have an expectation of well, good, what's good for me is good for you. Now we're not talking about doctrine. We're not talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about atoning sacrifice of Jesus. That's all core to faith in Jesus. What we're talking about is adding something. We must evaluate our expectations of others. Do we expect others to abide by our standards? That's what a Judaizer does. You must do this and this in order to be right with God. When God says, no, you just have to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do we expect others to abide in our practices? Have we cornered the market on worship? Are there things that we do here that we know and love and are familiar with? Yeah. Does that mean everybody ought to do it the way we do it? No. Does that mean there's no flexibility in what we are to do? Well, we have to be careful, folks, because when we get stagnant into just one way of thinking, right, right, we may end up being a Pharisee or being a Judaizer. I'm not saying we definitely will, but the danger is there. And so we must be evaluating our practices, our, our, our motivations. We must evaluate our expectations. We must heed the words of Jesus. And these, and these are the words that, that go right in line with the reading of Scripture today. In the various many ways that they were making the, the teachings of men, the doctrines of God, Judge not that you be not judged. For with that judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your eye? Hypocrite. Do you see the trend, right? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I want to just say, we're going to to finish here in just a moment, but let's avoid these, right? Let's let's bask in the beauty of our salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone, and let's enjoy how Jesus welcomes the variety of people that he's welcomed. Let's, Let's enjoy it. Let's have fun with it, but let's avoid the dangers of looking like a Pharisee and looking like a Judaizer. So we are... can challenge with the fact that Jesus' love caused him to welcome anyone who would follow him. And yes, that means anyone who would follow him. And so here's the application for us. So loving like Jesus will move us, Merrimack Valley Baptist Church, to eliminate any man-made, very important words, any man-made barriers to a relationship with him or his church. There are legitimate barriers that I do not have time to spend right now and go into detail, but the man-made barrier that God created, that God says is definitely there, is the barrier between man and God because of sin. But Jesus broke that barrier. And the veil was rent from top to bottom, signifying we can walk directly into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. So we need to Recognize that barrier and tell people the words of the gospel, right? Tell them about Jesus. Tell them how you came to faith so that they can walk into God's presence as well. But we need to recognize that we are also probably more than likely guilty of having man-made barriers that are hindering, uh, stopping people from either faith or growth, and certainly in, in relationships with Jesus or with this church. That's one another. So for us as the as pastoral team, as we are, are in this series, uh, each week we're going to be challenging you with uh, different, uh, different challenges, right? But we're also setting forth what to look forward for in the, in the coming year. This is 2022. This is, this is saying we'll start, we'll start you know, measuring all these things come January, right? We're setting the, the, the playing field, getting all the things set. And it says, in 2022, we, as we seek to eliminate relational barriers, Uh, We aim, that's relationship with God and relationship with man, right? In the first three months of next year, conduct a survey to help identify perceived barriers in our church community. That means we're going to be asking you to let us know what barriers you have encountered in your time here at Merrimack Valley Baptist Church. Or maybe you want to share with us barriers you've experienced in other churches that you don't want to experience here. We need you to inform us. Right? That's this first part. We're going to do many surveys. I hope you love surveys cuz they'll be short, they'll be sweet, they'll to the point, but they'll really help us and it'll help you two-way communication, all right? So we're going to be asking specifically church structure barriers, right? Is there something the way we do things? Or even interpersonal barriers, relationship, relationship directly ones, right? So that's, that's the first challenge, uh, the first goal that we have for 2022. The second one is to address four identified barriers. So I want to be very clear here because I had someone come up to me, thankfully, after the first service and, and clarify something that I intended to clarify that I didn't. So we're saying on this one, we need your feedback. On this one, we're saying... We're hoping, our plan is to address four of those identified barriers that you share. We're hoping to be able to say, listen, we're going to review those lists, we're going to figure, and we're going to actually work on changing those, that dynamic. All right. So that's important. We hear from you, we respond together, we're all doing this together. But then, where the confusion came was on the third one. So the third goal, and the last goal, is to conduct four grace and truth discussions Regarding known relational barriers. And I'll list four. And the, and the person, what I failed to communicate, this is not the four that we're talking about back here. These are ones that we're learning, learning from, okay? We're gonna learn about that and we're gonna try and fix some of those things. This is talking about additional ones that we already believe are present in our body and that we need to address. Now, we're not the only church dealing with these, but we do believe these are in our church. And when I candidated to be your pastor, I said very clearly that I wanted to be a pastor of a church that can talk about these things in such a way that we can talk about the hard issues and still leave loving one another and thinking the best of one another. We ought to be able to talk about hard things as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is what we're talking about. There's going to be another sermon uh, that's going to address more directly this idea of grace and truth. We'll get there in a few weeks. But we, we want to conduct these grace and truth discussions. We want to talk about church conflict. That's kind of the basis for these first four. But this isn't something we're going to stop. This is the idea of we're going to start next year with four, probably one a quarter. And then we hope to continue those as, as, as opportunity prevents it, uh, pre- prevents, presents itself. And we'll go forward. We'll have more discussions because we can do this in Christ. Right? So we'll talk about church conflict. We'll talk about how do, you, how do we live our Christianity within our culture? What are the dynamics there? We're going to talk about music and worship. I promised that from when I was candidating too, and we haven't done it yet, because everything has to be done decently in order, and I wasn't ready. I'm excited about this coming year. We get to have some of these discussions that we have not had yet. And then lastly, legalism. It was just one of the ones on the list. I can't say it's the foremost in my mind, but it's there, and I think it's present, because some of us are Pharisees, and some of us are Judaizers, and we don't even know it. And I certainly don't want to be that, and I know you don't either. So we are challenged to love like Jesus. That is, that is our goal as we, as we go forward here. That's, that's where we're leading you. But we want to lead by example. But we don't want to walk alone. I'm asking you, please, remember the love of Jesus for you. Let that love for Jesus work through your life so that you're loving one another and you're loving those to Christ. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. I think it's the kind of church you'd want to be part of, too. So let's love like Jesus in this very special, specific way of welcoming everyone who's willing to follow him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, today's texts, the numerous portions of Scripture. I thank you, Father, how it washes over us. How it gets inside us and changes us from the inside out. It's only your word that does that, Father. People will do self-help programs. They'll they'll do motivational exercises. They'll do all things. And and, and I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong in that, but they will not find the meaning of life. They will not find an answer to the, the longing soul the desires to have peace that only comes through Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that longs for that peace, they long to to know the love that you have for them in Jesus. Father, we pray that they would come to faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He did it all. He died for that person's sin. He died for my sin. Father, I pray that you would enliven faith in a dead person. Bring them to new life, because he who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life. It's a farce. It's a figment of their imagination. They think this life is all there is, and yet there's eternal life with you if a person has faith in what Jesus Christ did on their behalf. Father, we invite you to invite these people into your family. And Father, may we welcome them. Father, for those that have come to faith in Jesus, we pray that the news, the gospel is for us too. That it's not just for salvation, it's for living. I pray, Father, that we would own the challenge before us. And that we would evaluate our attitudes, our actions, our practices. And we would bring them to you in prayer, quietly petitioning you, Father, reveal in me any wickedness of sin. And then, Father, I pray that as you awaken us to those areas, that we would confess our sins. For you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Father, as we conclude today, I pray that as we sing one final song, that we would be thinking thoughts of you. We would be thankful for our salvation if we truly have been saved. Father, may you be glorified in the singing, but also in the response as we walk out these doors and live out our faith. May you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.